All right. It's that time. It's time for Beyond Sight and Sound. Let's do this. quality beach and sand scoop? Are you trying to take your hunting to the extreme? How about an American-based company that stands behind their product and everything they sell? Then check out our friends over at Extreme Scoops. John has been making scoops for some time now and makes a quality beach and sand scoop to take your hunting to the next level. Extreme Scoops recently released their new sand shredder that works great in the water and on the beach. And if you're a new Equinox user, you may want to check out his Surfmaster X3 that can trap those small targets you new Equinox users are finding out there. Extreme Scoops company approach is let's do it right. So do it right, buy it once, and go to the extreme. Extremescoops.com That's X-T-R-E-M-E scoops.com Hey boys and girls, we are going to talk about S&W Shooters and Prospectors. What is S&W Shooters and Prospectors? We at S&W Shooters and Prospectors Help people find treasure. Did you say treasure? Yes, treasure. Just listen to this amazing reveal from our happy customer, Jamie Farrell. chocolate ship shape and a pleasure to deal with. I was able to find everything that I needed at prices that were shillings less than others. I found my nine pieces of eight in no time. I know you're asking yourself, why should I shop at SW Shooter and Prospectors? Chuck Smalley has over 45 years of metal detecting experience. He works with each customer one on one to customize their setup to match their skill level. So if you have always dreamt of being a pirate, Arr. contact Chuck at SW Shooters and Prospectors and he'll take a great deal for you. I bet rum not included. Caution. Please do not operate motor vehicles or power equipment while under the influence of this show. 
Listening to this show could cause side effects such as bouts of laughter, violent binges of cabin fever, and even dreams of silver and gold. Please be advised. Now that the fine print is out of the way, on with the show. All right, we're back. We're live. Once again, you are listening to Beyond Sight and Sound, metal detecting and treasure hunting radio for all the really cool digging people out there. And as I look into the chat, I see all the usual suspects jumping in there. The Bills and Frank and Mortners and Mikes and oh, Dennis and Bob and my good grief, lions, tigers, and bears. Uh, a lot of people jumping in. It's good to see. Definitely good to see. Links first and foremost over in the chat, in the description, our friends over at Shooters and Prospectors, AIP, Extreme Scoops, Detectives, the Ring Finders, Note the website, uh, Midwest Refineries, Terry Shannon's website, there's Ohio Metal Detecting, Crazy Spider Adventures, Detect That Outdoors, All Metal Militia, all on YouTube. Don't forget, there's also the History Digger also on YouTube. We've got that link in there tonight. Check out Rob's channel if you haven't already. And then there's Metal Detecting Beyond Sight and Sound Illinois, Iowa Treasure Hunters, Metal Detecting Central Illinois, and Detect America, all on the Facebook side, as well as all Metal Militia and Detect That Outdoors. You can catch Frank, Steve, and Ronnie at 8 p.m. on Mondays. That's Eastern Time, not Jupiter Time. Multicasting Facebook, YouTube. You can catch Shelly and Dawn on Thursdays. Can you dig it? 7 p.m. Eastern. Simulcasting. And I think we made it through all the links without any sort of hiccups or biting my tongue or anything like that. Wow. So, tonight, looking forward to this, definitely. It's been a while since we've had him on the show. He's had quite the uh, series of adventures as of recent. And we'll be able to discuss some of those tonight. So, hopefully, I see some new names in the chat. And I'm sure... You folks are here because of the guest, and I see regular names in the chat, and I'm sure you folks are here because of the guest, and I'm here because of the guest. If I hadn't had a guest, it might have been an archive tonight, because it is beautiful weather here in the chilly tundra of Ohio. Either way, let's get him in here. How's it going, Rob? Well, I'm the guest, and I'm here because of you all, so it's going really well, thanks for the invite. Really nice to be back and chatting with the Beyond Sight and Sound group. Yeah. How is the weather up there in chilly, chilly Wisconsin? Oh my gosh, Josh. Well, you know, I was actually out digging uh, this, this past week, you know, hoping, hoping that spring, you know, was, was actually on its way. But then yesterday we were greeted by Eight inches of that heavy white stuff. I don't. I don't want to say its name. I, I don't want to. Know. I don't want to it just it, it falls from the sky and all of a sudden it gets cold. Yeah. Yes. But you know what? That's okay. So um, spent the weekend cleaning some machines, editing some videos, talking with friends. But but I'm hopeful spring is right around the corner. So am I. Mother Nature keeps dangling the carrot in front of us where we get those couple nice days and just as we're going, yes, it's about time, then it gets cold again. There's a little <sighs> known fact here in Wisconsin. So before 
spring, the season of spring. We we actually have another season. It's 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 called mud season. Yeah, I was going to say really bad sledding. <laughs> oh my gosh, no! It, you know, so you you can detect, but be prepared. Be prepared to basically take a shower with your detector, clean it off, that kind of thing. So we'll have a few a few weeks of mud season detecting, and then of course spring will finally be here. But uh, we only returned to Wisconsin about a week ago after after oh gosh several weeks traveling down south. I, I have to be honest, um, I enjoyed that nice weather, you know, south. Of yeah, here. should have brought some of it back with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although Indeed, I I do have to say it, this should really be keeping you busy because. The the last time we had you on the show, you had the History Digger YouTube channel, plus you had the, uh, uh, like, a, a Van Life YouTube channel, and now it sounds like you've got a camping YouTube channel, too, a, a camper YouTube channel, like traveling with your camper. So we do. Um, this is History Digger. Amy tends to kind of focus on that one a little bit more, but... Yeah, if if, you, if if folks were not familiar with that, I retired last year and we took the plunge and, and bought a what's called a Class C RV. It's a van, about 22 feet long. It's a actually it's what's called a Coachman Beyond. That's the the model name. And so we started another YouTube channel called Beyond the Adventure. And you know we we share tips and information with other RVers about the about RV life, and then a little bit about, you know, the adventures that we go on. And that's been fun. Um, so it's actually quite interesting because several people who I've since met, you know, in this community, guess what? They also metal detect, which is kind of fun. Long than that. <laughs> and so I did this. Go ahead. Quick funny story. So I'm at this uh, rally, an RV rally. We probably had. I think there were a hundred other people who owned the similar, you know, vehicle to us there. And, uh, we were there for three or four days, just chatting, getting to know one another, talking about our, our rigs. And there's this gentleman who also happens to be from Wisconsin. His name's Russ Johnson. And he's there. And I've been friends with him for a while. And he knows I metal detect and he knows I swing an XP there too. Right. And Russ has an old mine lab D track, I believe. Okay. Ooh. So he shows up one day and, you know, he's kind of behind me, comes up, and he has a big smile on his face. And guess what? He's wearing a Mind Lab shirt and a Mind Lab hat, which, you know, I also swing an Equinox 800. That's all fine. But I, I, I said, where did you get that? Oh, my gosh. Well, he recently attended an event in Arizona, uh, in Quartzsite. It's a gathering of, of RVers. And I think over the course of the week, they have like 100,000 people attend this event. That's and, a good sized um, event. Oh, it's huge. And and you know who was there with their tent and booth was um Deb uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Debbie Smikowski. Smikowski, yeah. And um so, you know, he, he said, you know, I met Debbie and so forth. So uh, I actually saw Debbie a few weeks later and I, I showed a picture of her of this gentleman. She said, Oh, that's Russ Johnson. But uh <laughs> It just goes to show you these are similar demographics of people and people. Right. But my lab was well represented there. Small world. 
Speaking of which, I see Mike Lockmet in the house from Metal Detecting Center, Illinois, and he extends his uh, warm welcome to you. One of my favorite Facebook groups, if you guys are not familiar with this, you don't have to live in Illinois to be a member, but Mike runs some of the most fun, interesting, creative contests anywhere on Facebook. So you all need to take a look at that page if you're not familiar with it. Yeah, he does a very good job with the contest. As a matter of fact, for those listening tonight, probably Wednesday we're going to be having some fun. We've got some special jester grab bags from Metal Detecting Central Illinois to give out uh, that he wants us to get them handed out before or by. April 1st. I actually had the pleasure of finally meeting him in person at uh, the event that Chuck and Tim Rushing put on last year at, uh, I think it was called uh, Swing Into Summer. Yeah, in Galesburg. Galesburg, and and there was this crazy guy there wearing, who had green hair. I thought he was the Hulk at first, but um, I don't know who that guy was, but there was some guy with his green head of hair there. I've heard rumors about that. I looked for him. I I wanted to kind of get my picture taken with him, but I missed out on it. Apparently, he was he was a little suspect, but his wife was really nice. That's all I can tell you. I did hear that too. Everybody said you got to kind of <laughs> keep your eye on him. He's a little sketchy. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I I just I couldn't catch him. This was folks. This was this was Josh. I'm talking about. So he, <laughs> yeah. Did this show right live? Live from I don't know how you did that, by the way. Uh, very carefully, there was this giant hamster wheel under the table with a couple of gerbils in it. Oh my! Well, it was so loud, so much stuff going on, and you broadcast live there. And I think I think Mike, a bunch of other people, got kind of came up to the mic. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. I have not seen a post about whether they're doing that event again this year. I really hope they are. Uh, This year, they're scaling back because of detecting the Heartland, and they'll be back with another big event in 24. We're just waiting on the waiting on dates and things to be finalized. Okay, good to know. I know that that event, the detecting the Heartland event, I missed out on that. It sold out like in one day, something like that. Yeah, it sold out in like 22 minutes. Yeah, crazy. But my, I, my good friend, uh, Robert Frank, somehow got in there, so he will be there. But yeah. I've heard really good. Casey put that on, right? Yeah, Casey and Mindy and the mm-hmm. admins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I, next year. I even heard a rumor that that guy's going to be floating around somewhere around there, too. Only there's oh. there's been some discussion and speculation about what color the hair is going to be. Interesting. We Interesting. Okay. All right. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to, too, because it seems like I'm always the last to know. But that's the way it goes. I do have to say, though, you did recently put up a video, and and I gotta say, you know, very good job, because it really kind of surprised me, the number of people, because there for a while I was involved with 
uh, XP, and it really amazed me the number of people that the MI6 pinpointer just kind of mystified. They could read the instruction sheet, they could watch videos, but to actually navigate the menu system on the MI6, every time they'd try to do it, it just seemed like Greek to them. Very, very good job explaining that. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I have pinpointers are really interesting. I think everybody, you know, everybody talks about their detectors and, and, you know, I'm not in this camp of my detector is better than your detector. You know, every detector can outperform another detector. Most of them can, depending upon the condition and so forth. And some are heavier, some are lighter, some are wireless and so forth. But, right. you know, I, I want people to, you know, have the detector that suits them the most. Pinpointers are, are kind of the same way. And, you know, for the longest time, I, you know, I'll just go out on a limb here and I will say there were quite a few people who gravitated towards the Garrett Carrot. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's Pinpointer and there's others out there, the Mind Lab, the Nocta and so forth. But let me tell you, the MI6, I came about this Pinpointer after I purchased my first XT detector, which was an ORX. And I have to say, I absolutely loved it for, for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, just like some people with their detectors, you can turn it on and go. You know, you can, you can just turn it on and use it. But at the same time, unlike many other competitive pinpointers, it really has the opportunity to, um, you can customize it to your liking. And therein is a little bit of a challenge because that, to do that, you need to understand the, the menus and how right, you use the menu it. navigation. There's one button on this thing, so how do you do that? So right. I, I don't, I, I can't recall what happened. Somehow, I think I, my, my, my pinpointer was paired to my detector and headphones, and, and for some reason, maybe there was an update, it stopped working. So I said, okay, I really need to understand and learn the menus on here. And, uh, so I just thought, after I did that, I thought, well, let me see if I can share that with others, because it does require, you know, it's simple, but um, you, you do need to just spend a few minutes to understand the, the two different menus. There's a, what's called a hot menu that you access once the pinpointer is turned on, and a cold menu that you actually access from the off position when the pinpointer is off. But anyway... Uh, I enjoyed doing that. Uh, I appreciate the feedback. I'm, I'm glad you thought it was helpful, but it's a phenomenal pinpointer. Oh yeah, and and I think a lot of people will find that help helpful when when navigating the menu of the pinpointer. And like you said, there's there's a lot of different machines out there, and some of them may excel in different environments or scenarios than others, while you know vice versa. And it's the same way with pinpointers. And I have a number of pinpointers myself as well. And the thing that kind of surprised me about the MI6, and I, I, if I remember right, I sold a couple of these because of that. Uh, I had a gentleman come up to me one day, and he had had some sort of reconstructive surgery done to his hand. And 
part of that surgery entailed these very, very, very teeny tiny titanium screws and this very fine metal mesh, uh, some sort of stainless mesh or something like that, uh, some sort of surgical grade metal. And he wondered if he could use a pinpointer, if that would pick up the metal in his hand because of this reconstructive surgery he had. And I told him, I said, well, sit down and, and let's play around here. I got a few different pinpointers. And I grabbed the carrot and turned it on and and touched it to his hand. Couldn't couldn't make it go off, you know. Touched it to my hand and it go off because of the ring and stuff like that. Tried his hand again, nothing. Turned it off. Tried, uh, I think it was a uh, Detechnics waiter or something like that. Mm-hmm. And turned it on. Touched it to his hand, nothing. Touched it to something else and it'd go off. Tried a mine lab. Same scenario, same result. Turned on the MI6, and as soon as I touched it to his hand, it started to sing. And he was just absolutely amazed that the MI6 would pick up on that where none of the other pinpointers did. And even today, you know, when I'm out in the field, depending on what I'm doing, what I'm looking for, I may carry a carrot, or I may carry an MI6. Or a mine lab. It all just depends. Yeah. There, there are, you know, now for those not familiar with this, I'll just tell you, XT has two pinpointers, one called the MI4, the other the MI6. What's the difference? Essentially, the MI6 gives you the ability to pair your pinpointer with an XT detector. So what I mean by that right. is, when you turn on your XT detector, excuse me, when you turn on that pinpointer and it's paired, you hear it through your headphones and it disables the signal on your coil. Okay. Yeah. Just uh, like with the Garrett Z-Link. Garrett, the, Garrett, the Garrett Z-Link does this and Nocta added a feature that would allow you to turn off the coil so you could hear, you know, actually for any pinpointer, you could temporarily disable a coil. But it's nice, you know, if it's in windy conditions and so forth. But if you are just interested in a separate standalone pinpointer, you, you, you swing a, a Nox 800, a Manticore, whatever, that's what the MI4 would be. You know, it's, right. it's exactly the same otherwise. But and that's what I what told I, people before, too, is the, the MI6, basically to, to reap all of its true benefits and potential, you have to pretty much be an XT user because you've got the... You know, you can pair it to your headphones. If you lose your pinpointer, you can locate it. All of that stuff. Otherwise, if you're not, don't spend the extra money. Get an MI4 if you want an XP pinpointer. Exactly right. So, but the, the other interesting thing is, you know, in some scenarios, more is not always better. Greater sensitivity isn't always better. And so, yes. Now, you you stick that pinpointer down in the hole and it immediately starts to go off. I mean, sometimes like high sensitivity is not your threat. Okay? Exactly. So I'm not going to go into specifics, but there's, you know, whether you adjust your sensitivity level or you just simply detune the pinpointer, you know, you can, you can adjust it. And, you know, 
part of my, my point here with the pinpointer isn't about the pinpointer, but it's about, listen, metal detecting in some ways is a math game. What I mean by that is an odds game. And, you know, what we're trying to do is to find things as quickly as we can, okay? And once we find them, extract them as quickly as we can. Exactly. You know, the so quicker our, we recover them, the faster we move on to the next target. We more finds in the, the pouch at the end of the day. That's exactly right. And, you know, and, and there's a lot of things that are so funny because so many of the YouTube videos focus on the machines and how to tweak it for depth. And, and those are all relevant and good. But I'm amazed sometimes that people don't focus more on just the actual, the process of finding, extracting, and moving around. Think of it this way, Josh, like a golf swing. How many times have you seen golf pros talk about how to maximize their swing? Okay. There's an opportunity for us to maximize our detecting method. Um, I, I joke, I was at, when I was at Big Stock, I told somebody this the other day, I, you know, I, I hope this is okay to say here, but you know, foreplay, Right, is, is for is for love making. It's not for metal detecting. You know, you you want to kind of swing over this thing. You want to be efficient. You want to be effective and move on. I mean, I have many friends I detect with who are very, very good detectorists. But I'll tell you what, I actually think I dig more holes than many people because I have an efficient golf swing. I have an efficient detecting process and that includes the pinpointer but it includes other things as well if that makes sense right so you want to you know anyway so the mi6 is great whether you're using it out of the box or you want to kind of customize it um but i just felt hey you know there are several people who in their zeal to detect they, they kind of forget some of those basic programming things so i put that video together to help us. One, one other interesting thing has nothing to do with the performance of the detector itself, but I picked up a tip from Gary Blackwell, who actually works for XP, okay, and um, he runs the Skill School uh, videos. It's phenomenal if you haven't seen those. But uh -huh. One of the things he he actually in the top of the MI6 pinpointer, it the top of the cap is nested, and and it's perfect to actually insert a magnet. Magnet in, in the top of the detector. So for those times when you know you, you flip your plug over, you're in there. And you, you you have what might be a small target, or most likely a small piece of ferrous material. He uses this magnet to you know tamp the ground, and very quickly, oh, you know, it just pulls up a nail. Once again, you're always going to check your holes, but an opportunity to move on, go to the next target as fast as possible. That was a tip I got from Gary Blackwell. Right. Yeah, and it's it's definitely handy to <laughs> to carry a magnet with you in the field. Yeah, and this is right. I actually mine is on my the top of my pinpointer, so I glued it in there. It does not at all interfere with any kind of you know signal, nothing like that. But uh, I do talk about that in the video as well. See, I keep mine on the top of my digger on the uh, the hilt of it. What are you using these days, by the way, for a digger? A uh, usually for for my hand digger, I'm using the Predator Tools uh, uh, Crusader, I believe it is, and then long handled shovels. Uh, I've got a variety: the T handle, thirty one inch Samson, Cedar River Tools long handled shovel, uh, 
Predator, Piranha, so a few different options. Okay, nice. Very nice. I saw you were not uh, too long ago. That was sometime last summer, maybe? No, actually, before that, you were reviewing some nice new shovels. Yeah, I, and I, you know, I have a couple, and it's funny just because light detectors, light pinpointers, you, you got to have the right shovel for the right type of terrain. I mean, when I went over to the UK in October of last year, yeah, I took one of my favorite shovels over with me, and, and I and I gotta say, it, it was you know it was it was great in, in a few respects that I could break it down, you know, two pieces that fit in my my check baggage, there's lighting right. and so on, but. A lot of the fields over there that you're detecting are 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 rolled or killed, okay? And you're not digging a plug like in a on a home site or in a park. You you actually need to shovel and scoop stuff out. So, you know, a more effective shovel over there is literally you know, a one with a bigger spade, a bigger um bottom area. And right. you know, I'm I'm getting ready to head back over there in about a week and a half for a ten day trip here. And I may I may take that I have since purchased another um I have a I have several different Excalibur shovels, one of mm-hmm. which has the new wider base. I'm gonna take that over with me and see how it performs. But you know, just like your detectors, just like your pinpointers, you you know, your digging tools whether it's the hand or the shovel, you, you also want to think about adapting those to the location you're detecting as well. Yeah, exactly. The environment that you're in, the scenario. Uh, and then obviously if you're, you're beach hunting, chances are good. You're not using, hopefully you're not using a shovel and you're using a beach scoop. And then if so, which one? And it it's just, the list goes on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, so we'll see. We'll give it. We'll give it another try this time. And um, but this particular trip, the organization I'm, 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 um, uh, that's hosting this, they do provide shovels as well that you can use. So we'll see. I'm going to probably. Uh, I probably will bring one, you know, just in case. But we'll see how it performs. Right. Yeah, always interesting to to try some different things, and especially when you're in an area like that where it's so steeped in history. Man, you you certainly don't want to miss the opportunity at getting at any of those targets. And the the dais does seem to excel over there. Oh my gosh! Well, so you know, I rolled the dice last year when I went over because it's like, do you or do you not take a backup detector? And, you know, of course, I'm trying to be mindful of, you know, the weight of a checked bag and so on. And I rolled the dice and I only took my, my day as two. I did not take a backup detector. And little did I know how remote of an area I would be in. And so this time I am, um, I have a new, I haven't done any videos on this yet, but I, I, you know, I still swing my knocks from time to time. Um, but I have another backup detector that I just purchased really excited about it it is a deus 2 but it's a ws6 master i heard about that those are quite interesting because you know as much as i love my deus 2 okay it Mm -hmm. may be deus 2 and manacore are kind of the top of the game it seems like right now they're the ones everybody's talking about 
they are, but listen, I mean, they're they're not cheap. They're not inexpensive machines. No. And they might be out of reach, you know, for a lot of folks. So, um, well, and especially with the Manicore, they're out of reach for a lot of folks anyway right now. That's literally <laughs> out of, they're, they're not even out of, that's a whole other thing. You don't have that one. But, um, <laughs> right. The, what XP did is they, they basically, so they, I think they, uh, you know, I'm not speaking for them. I don't work for them, nothing like that. But the WS6 Master is a, it, it, I think they, the Day of Two runs $14.99, I believe, and the WS6 Master $7.99. I'm not so sure what they run, but we've got a guy on here that may be able to tell us because we've got Chuck on with us. We will get Chuck, let's get Chuck's advice on this or opinion on this, but basically, let me just say, it's the same performance of the detector, but it's not waterproof, it doesn't have a a screen that the XP has, but it, you know, if you're looking to say, hey, what's this about? And you want to try like a multi-frequency machine from XP, it could be a really nice alternative. But um, let's, yeah, Chuck, what do you think? Well, we've got so many coming out out there, and without being able to have either one in hand and compare. I'm not going to tell you what I think until I get to play with them. And I mean, they're so slow. Some of them coming in, it's crazy. Right, yeah. I'm, By I'm the time they here. get there, I, I there may be another manicure. I've, I've had it in hand. I've put it together. I've done a little bit of playing. It was cold and frozen. I did some air testing. Air testing to me is not the way to test a machine. Uh, go out and have a garden set up and work with them in the ground and see conditionally in your area which machine performs to what you think it should. Right. And air testing I, I, is testing definitely is, not a good is, one for my It's not a, a good test of a machine. It's right. Not. And unfortunately, for, for whatever reasons, perhaps good, perhaps good ones, right? Some of these right. new machines, they sure seem to be taking a long time to find their way to us. Well, and it's, headphones. it's take a long time to get out to a lot of people, and them rolling out four different four detectors different machines, basically, basically at one time, and trying to get them out to customers with demand is a difficult task for them. Yeah. I I will say this. I had the opportunity not to swing it, but I did pick up a Manicore. Actually, it was in the New York big stock. And one of the things I was interested in was just, you know, the build, the difference in the build, because the, uh, I don't know. I mean, I love many, many things about my Nasty 800, but for me, you know, a little heavy, little nose heavy, you know, felt like I was holding a pipe and so forth. I will say, I, I felt like the Manicore, a completely different feel to the machine. And I've also, I just got in two days ago, the MindLab Terra which is very interesting. This is a $269 machine, It's but it's not multi-frequency. It is uh, switchable. Selectable frequency. But I haven't swung it yet. We'll see. Well, you'll have to let us know. If you find a pair of wireless headphones that pair to it, let us know how that does for you. I don't think there are any at the moment. That's, that's there are the none point. available right now. <laughs> no, no, I just, my last 900s and the new one, the Xterra Pro, they just went out, they shipped, my last three shipped tomorrow. 
I don't know when I'm going to get any more. I don't know when I'm going to see Manicor again. And it's a travesty in one way. They rolled that many out, and they can't keep production level going, one on top the other on top the other. And the dealers are all pulling their hair out at about every level. And it's uh, it's tough to, to tell people, and I've had multiple calls, and I took care of a lot of people on a lot of detectors, and it's, it's just even the legend ran out. Now they've got some back in. Uh, many of them are, I don't know, it's just the worldwide demand of all this is uh, kind of putting a jinx yeah. on some of it. And yeah, the demand is higher than the supply. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my my number one piece of advice to folks really, there's two. It might be best to wait, and the second one is call someone like Chuck, to, you know, to get informed because there are some really nice options out there. Yes, but, there are. You know, they don't all fit all of us. That kind of a thing, but uh, yeah. So it, it, I had a friend saying, you know, I mean. It's, if you pull back from all these supply chain challenges and stuff like that, it's actually a really good time to be a detectorist because we do have a lot of choices. Absolutely. And we have a contest going on, seeing who might, how much we can pack into one detector and keep the price at a reasonable level. And the Metacore, I'm a fan of the 3030, the E-Track, and that particular series, and they've blended a lot of great features from previous detectors into that manicore. And that yes, manicore, if, if the guys that I, I, every one of them that are out using them that I've sold are just killing it. They're just killing it. They're, they're doing very well. The 900 users are doing excellent, but so are still the 800 users. Right, six absolutely. And seven, and I've had a little bit of a chance to play with the Xterra Pro out here on the test garden between the snowfalls, and it does pretty well. I'm very impressed. Nice. Wasn't impressed well, that's certainly fact good that feedback to hear. You can't get headphones unless you buy wired ones, and the the. Frank's building the Aquatech wired. Right. And there's another brand or two out there wired that'd be very good for it. But you're, you know, <laughs> you got a $269 detector and you're going to turn around and, and uh, if they're budgetarily looking at it and they're wanting a set of headphones, yeah, they're paying. Right. You're going to spend half as much in a pair of headphones. But that's all right, because a quality set of headphones is worth weight in gold. I love headphones. Absolutely. I do not like earbuds. They don't fit me well, so I'd rather have, and everybody's, oh, they get hot. Well, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it's warm. Hopefully those those headphones can be, you know, hopefully they can be used on another machine. I, I think, you know, what I've been telling people is you need to step back and think about what's most important to you. Like you detect on land, you detect on beach, because listen, the jury's still out on how how the Xterra will do on salt water. We don't we don't know that. It's a single frequency machine. Okay. Right. Um but 
this is coming from somebody who's traveling a lot. You know, high up on my list is weight and portability, so forth. Well, that starts to steer me towards XP. For somebody else who is a beach detector, who doesn't want to have to deal with putting on a waterproof kit, it's as easy as that is, right? There are other options there. But, you know, this is where sometimes, like, I say people, yeah, yeah, you could find something on Cabela's, but, you know, you, you might not get a discount, but, you know, you, you might regret your And you're not going to get the customer but, service. Exactly right. Talk to somebody like Chuck or whatever who knows what they have, have them guide you. Your best decision might be to wait, but there's so many nice choices out there right now. It, it's it's kind of cool. I got, I, as frustrated as I am with the fitness stuff going on, I, I, I kind of balance that by it's a, there's some nice options for us. Oh, yeah. And yeah. with, and you know, the, the Dance 2 has conformed better to the U.S. market. Versus yes. the original sets of Deus. And the ORX was a... Never mind. I won't go into that. Uh, <laughs> so they're starting to understand that we aren't after paper-thin coins over here. And we have a larger tinfoil problem. And the earlier Deus's love that stuff. And you can work on it and get rid of most of it, but it still loved crusty bottle caps and tinfoil. So, and all levels of it. And I've ran the DS2 to be dangerous with it. I'm not an expert, but uh, I'm not an expert on any of them. I'm just knowledgeable well, enough <laughs> how to teach people well no, to do it. They're, you know, hammered coins are going to often, you know, they are thin, they're going to show up like aluminum. You know, it's, it's also interesting, too. I, I ask people, like, do you do you like to listen to tones more? Or do you really like to look at the screen? You know, the, the 2D tracing or the ID tra target tracing, they call it in the court. Listen, that's, that's intriguing, but having having moved away from the NOS to the XP, I spent the last year weaning myself away from looking at the screen and more listening to tones. Mm -hmm. So, is that wrong? I'm not saying that's better. I'm, I'm saying, you know, you, you have to understand, you know, what kind of terrain you're going to detect. How do you like to detect? Use these kinds of things to help guide your purchase decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you have multiple levels of knowledge on a manacore. You have tone ID which can be adjusted. You have visual ID, which you can set. So the more levels of knowledge you have on what you may be going after is a plus for the detectorist. I'm here to tell you. The, the 3030 with its target trace and tone ID and able to adjust different sets of tones throughout, amazing. Now they've got similarities in a package that's lighter, easier to understand and operate. You don't have all that and GPS breaks down and easier. all the other stuff that you most people didn't use, but you still have visual and audio. And, you know, turn it away from visual, a quick check of a number, but seeing a target trace with multiple targets on the screen 
that are giving you a blob instead of a circle. And then right in the middle of that group of targets, there's this nice tight circle. You best be digging. Don't walk away from it because sometimes audio can be incorrect in your thought and give you that high pitch on a bent square nail because of it leaching into the ground. Giving you and and they'll all tell you right, it the can halo give you effect. ferrous and non-ferrous sounds, but yep. halo and wraparound. That's right. But yeah, I, having I, a visual I, that's telling you, look, there's three nails there, but I've got this other object that's giving me a bit of a squeak. I'm not sure, but that target is showing solid on this. You best be digging that. Yeah, I wanted to. Having more kit. senses in the unit you're running or ID and you being able to quantitatively pick out that target to dig in a pile of nails mm -hmm. helps you. And right. you know how many of those have been missed by all <laughs> of the other detectors out there. That thing's totally. a cherry picker. Right. That's, I think it's he'll tell you that. And as some of my others, I wished I had one to come out and tell you that I was killing it too, but I don't. I take care of my customers first. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, sorry to talk over you there. If William Shakespeare were alive today, and I think he were a detectorist, he would have a, a soliloquy or something. To dig or not to dig, that is the question. That's right. And what these machines will not only help you do, it helps to, you know, identify and find a target, but helps to inform, move on. And I will say the one thing people often, like, I share advanced tips with people is when you are kind of listening to audio and you are, you know, you find your, your target, you're pulling away. Okay. You're trying to, you know, use the pullback method to pinpoint. Listen to the edge of the, uh, the edge signal of the target. Okay. That's very different from when you're right over it. You, when you pull that away, and if you hear what people call elongation, where there's this long tail, there's a squeak, it burps, it farts, whatever, you know, that's often telling you, that, number one, it could be irregular, you know, it could be ferret, versus a straight drop-off. Beep, 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 it just stops. So, you know, visuals, there's all kind of wonderful but you, when you listen to the audio, you want to kind of pay attention to the edges. The edges are very, very telling. Hey, to dig or not to dig, move on or spend time, you know, recovering this thing. Okay. What you're talking about on the edges is eddy currents. They actually roll forward all the way around, sideways forward in front of a detector. So that will give you a longer field of target response. And that's due to leaching. And there's been many times where, uh, now this is on the 800, you get this, what you're talking about, a longer pull. So if you don't center right, you'll find 90% of the time, target will be in forward of your pinpoint area and it's picking it up because of the leaching process into the ground and responding. So it gives you a longer tone. It will give you a higher pitch, more conductive than non-ferrous or ferrous, excuse me. And 
you're digging, you actually have missed pinpoint, and that target is in front or just at the front edge of the coil. That is why that does that. And and I had my lab engineers give me a primer on 80 currents and how they help you and how you can understand your pinpoint. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons is that leaching into the ground. But if you've got a coin in there with it, it will help elongate it even further. And that coin may even be down at an angle off right or left of that iron object. And I've yeah. seen that when I, you know, recovered coins and gold and other things in amongst iron. And I've oh, heard yeah. it. Now, when you visually get to see what's there along with that, that helps you immensely. Now, I'm not saying that this is the do-all, end-all, and it takes time and experience with these, both visually and audio, to understand what it's telling you. You've just opened up an extra field for your senses in the ground, and you are the last form of discrimination. Well, do I want to dig that or not? Well, you should. Well said. Right. And it's like, it's not a, it's not a race. It's not like, you can dig the most whole, you know, but... Can, you know, are the holes that you are digging, if you do decide, you know, are they more or less productive than everyone around you? And, and that's mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're trying to use all of these, you know, we're, we are not only detectorists, we're detectives. And we're right. trying Pulling to, all of this data in and trying yeah. to determine which ones do we go exactly. after. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the things in the field I believe in is productivity. I want to produce more and better targets for myself as I'm going along than just being out there uh, weed whacking the grass and occasionally getting a target. I see too much of that. I see them coils going up and down on the side. They don't keep the coil on the ground. That's another problem. Oh Even God, some pretty experienced guys do that. You know, uh, there's a couple, couple pet peeves I have, like people passing on the wrong side of the road. That This is one of my pet peeves because Again, mathematically, you can increase your potential yield by having a a, a level swing. Uh, it drives me nuts. I, I even told people at Big Talk, you know, I was talking to I said, now you watch, you're going to see people out there. They're like, you know, it's like they're making rainbows, you know, yep. out there. And it, it's all I see it. it, it it's you, have you ever heard of red green? Yes. Yes. I Keep your stick on the yeah. ice. Okay. He's big. Ducks Keep your coil on the ground. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious, uh, <clears throat> knowing that Chuck has been over to England and knowing that you were over to England and apparently you enjoyed it enough that you are going back and it sounds like multiple times. How was your trip to England? Trip of a lifetime. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I spent time talking with Tim Blank, who's been on your show, Ill Digger, and he prepped me. Um, I, you know, I got there early, uh, early enough to kind of recover some jet lag. I did some mudlarking. Tim gave me some really good advice. You know, forget everything you know. You know, all this stuff is, you know, spend time understanding some of the, the, the coin targets over there. But I, but I absolutely loved it. It, it was interesting because there were some big differences on these fields that we detected there. First of all, very little trash, as we would call trash, very little aluminum pull tab, stuff like that. The aluminum pull tab of England, interestingly, is the flat button. 
you find so yes. many flat there. You know, you find a flat button here. You're like, oh wow, cool. You know, or or even like a colonial copper, which they call green. You know, they're like, oh, okay. You know, they they throw them into the hedgerow. Right. So the age, the type of coins, the the beauty of the fields is just incredible. Um, but one one piece of advice I just want to count on, and Chuck, I'm curious to hear what you you say here. But one advice that Tim gave me, Tim Blind gave me, is he said, you know, do not throw anything away until your barn leader, someone in your group that's knowledgeable, has an opportunity to look at this stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. So I mean, the obvious stuff, like you know, if there was a full cast, as few as they were, aluminum can't whatever, I threw that away. But sure enough, you know, at the end of your trip, you turn everything in. And what I really appreciated, after the uh, Colchester Treasure Metal Detecting Club, you know, turns it into the the UK fines officer, you get a report back. Every single item you you turn in is placed on a grid, an individual grid, number one, two, three, and it tells you what those items are. And, you know, sure enough, I had two items that I thought were kind of, I don't want to call them trash, but, you know, I thought they were... I thought one item was a bent nail that turned out to be a Roman fibula. You know, the, the, the hook that would, you know, uh, go cool. it together. Right. And, and I had a toasty coin that again, I just thought it was just that. And it turned out to be a fourth century Roman bronze coin. So I absolutely loved it. I'm doing 10 days here in April. I'm going back in the fall for seven, but I, I thought it was, experience of a lifetime. Chuck, did, did you have a similar experience? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I've been there twice. I was supposed to go back this fall, and I'm planning on doing it, and I enjoyed it very much and found some amazing things. I found an 1806 three-guinea gold piece. I found a silver Roman coin, which was so heavily credited when I took it to the guy that does the PAS out there, he says, I don't know what that is. Well, they kind of did a light clean on it, and then he contacted me and said, you've got a good Roman silver here. And I went, okay. They sent it back. I mean, it wasn't that rare, but it was a good one. Right. And so it wasn't that good, but it was good. Buttons, my God. Bell, round buttons, uh, flat buttons. Uh, good God, there was a bunch of them. So really? many, so many cool things. My my first day there, I found an 18th century uh, gold locket. You know, and I thought, well, I mean, that that was phenomenal. My third day there was in a large field. It was a potato field, and on the backswing, I I heard this saint signal. It was ringing up as a 58 on the day of two, and I thought, huh, let me check that out. And again, this field had been rolled. Okay, so there were clumps of dirt there. I, I, I dug a, if you could call it a plug, I flipped over a, a hole, you know, lost the signal. Uh, hmm, well, let me let me go in with my pinpointer, see if I can, you know, find it. And I, and I did, and I find this clump that out of the edge, I saw the rim of something. I thought it was a bronze, a bronze uh, a coin. And sure enough, a 1604 hammered gold James I coin. Cool. Good job. Um, un- un- unbelievable. Way for thin, of course, you know, but uh, 
that was on day three. I was like, you know, my trip could have ended then and I would have been ecstatic. Yeah, now, who did you this go was with? day three of seven. So I went through Chicago Run, my farm mm-hmm. leader, Tim Rush. Tim was my farm leader. And, um, you know, the interesting thing was uh, we pulled up to this one field. You know, you, you every morning you, you as a group, these groups are normally like groups of seven. You might say, why seven? Well, that's how many people fit in a in a normal van that you can use to go from your you know your 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 barn your outbuilding where you're staying to the field. And you and your group talk about what fields you're going to hit that day. And your barn leader you know presents a binder, and there's numerous fields that the club has permission to attack. And you know, should we go here? Should we go there? And that particular morning, we decided to go to a field that, though, as we pulled up, Tim Tim Rushing said. Now, this field here, this is hallowed ground because, oh gosh, a couple of years ago, Tim Blank found this gold ingot. And a year before that, they found a gold hoard, you know. And so this is several years ago. And, you know, sure enough, we went out in that field and guess what I found is that gold coin. That had to have been Mary's. Yeah, it was Mary's. It was Mary's. <laughs> and you know exactly where I'm talking about. Um, I was at in fact, I even on the field after, of course, I peed my pants. I I texted uh, Tim before I even called my wife. I sent a picture of the, the gold coins to, to uh, Tim Blank, who who by the way was there the week prior to me, and he found a a, a, uh, a gold ring, a midi- medieval gold ring, not on that field, but on the orchard field. It was incredible, but. Nice. I tell people if you're at all interested, I, I got a great video up talking about the experience. I did it for people. With, oh, it was a very good video. Thank you. It was fun to do, but you want to plan it in advance. These things like fill up and plus fill up almost like a year in advance. And people like Chicago Ron, Minnesota Mindy, Tim Rushing, they're what are called barn leaders. They've gone over there many times. These are the people that pick you up at the airport, take you out to the fields and so forth. But you want to book your trip through them. But they fill up very quickly. So if you're at all interested, I always tell people, send me a text. I'll be happy to walk you through it. But if you're at all thinking about it in the future, you want to kind of think a year out because they're they're that popular. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm already nearly half booked for next year's trip to Alaska. So we're working on that, and then I'm going with Tim this fall, and uh, we'll see how that goes because they've kind of relaxed a little bit over in England over the COVID. Yeah, Tim is the man. He found a nice nugget. Chuck, I I do plan on joining you up there, hopefully, if you guys will have me one day. Um, I'm also looking at a trip to Scotland in 24 with my good friend Heidi Fisher, Boston Heidi. We're trying to put together a trip up there with the uh, either the Scottish detectorists or or another gentleman. But uh, I, I do hope to make it up to Alaska. Keep me posted. Uh, keep me posted on Scotland. I would love to it. go up to Scotland. Uh, my family originated in Scotland, very northern part, and the castle of the family still stands. My mom was over there once. And I just like to go tramp around because she met up with cousins and stuff over there, second cousins, this kind of stuff, and had a blast many years ago. And I don't even know the names, but I would love to go to Scotland. 
How awesome. I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, that's on the list, but we'll do my friends. Um, these are, you know, and it's a different experience. Okay. I, I, I will say the one downfall. We, we have many great things here in the U.S. It, it does. It does set a different bar for you once you go on a trip like this. I think Ken, uh, <laughs> the guys from Relic Radio just went over. You had them on, I think, didn't you, Josh, a week ago or so? Do what? Tony uh, and the, didn't you, did you have the guys from Relic's Radio on your show? I, I, I know they went over recently. No, not here recently. I haven't. No, no, not here recently. Uh. Um, you know, when you go over and you're finding, you know, a, a, uh, a stator or a hammered coin. And so it, it, it does set the ball. But let me put it this way. A 1974 Lincoln just doesn't kind of yeah. give you the same right. makes it hard that. to come home and get excited over finding a Mercury dime. Exactly. Or a wheat thing. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, or any of the others. But And the neat thing about that, and I have been very, very, very fortunate. I've got to travel. And I've got to go all around the world just about doing this. And this has been since the early 80s I've traveled about, and I've met some of the finest in the in the world doing it. And it's it's a joy to get out. And Ron, Tim are good friends of mine. And I know Ron, you you were riding with Tim then. You weren't riding in Ron's van, were you? No, I was riding with Tim. Now this April. That's good. Ron was there with me. Ron drives a van in England, (laughs) one foot on the accelerator and the other on the brake. Well, that's not about the twice the challenge. And I've never seen six grown men scream at the same time to tell Ron to get over. Uh, Many times I've rode with Ron, and if he hears this, it's a true story. We were doing a roundabout. He cut off a semi, and I swear by the grace of God, there was only an inch between us. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, over, over, left, hard left. <laughs> he says, shut up, chief. I got it. You just about got it. <laughs> right. You don't know how close you were. I had a couple people like, well, you know, would you ever do the farm leader thing? I said, you know, I thought about it. I might, but... <laughs> The key thing to be a barn leader over there is you have to have driving skills. Oh, I drove in England the first trip there. And my wife only screamed, really screamed twice. Yeah, I, I think Chuck's okay on his own, but if Jill's with him, she may not be real comfortable. No, yeah. it's a race in a roundabout. I'm, I'll swear to God they race each other. I, I mean mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> Great and the ones that are popping up in the U.S., that's NASCAR, uh, baby. They love it. Yeah, yeah, those roundabouts in the U.S., they're very tame. You know, over there, they're they're high speed, on, you know. But, I, I again, I, I will just say, if, if you can, if you can do it, if you aspire to do it, you know, take, there's plenty of videos out there of folks that have done these trips. Tim has one. Digging with Heath just did one. Ken. From, uh, I think from uh, Ralph Radio. Yeah, Ken you know, King. Yeah, yeah. Give it a shot and consider it. And if anybody has any interest, I'm not affiliated with any of the groups over there, but I'm happy to share with you what I know, what I did. But uh, I'm all I can tell you is I'm going back twice this year. 
Well, and that was pretty much uh, Chuck's synopsis with it, too, was, hey, if you've got the opportunity, do it. You won't be disappointed. Just do it. You won't regret it. And, you know, uh, the friends that you gain, the experience you gain in the field and, and in England uh, is phenomenal. Now, as far as sightseeing, no, that's that's not on the itinerary. You look around, you see a yeah, lot of Yeah, that's not a trip for sightseeing. No. And no. Thank, thank you for bringing that up, by the way, because that really, you know, you get to know your, your teammates very well. And I yep. have you know, three, what I would now consider best friends from that one-week trip that I, that I communicate with regularly. It's just phenomenal and the finds are great of course the fields are great but the shared experience is awesome right it is phenomenal and uh it's a good time and the food well ron and boys know where to go to get the better food and but when jill and i were over there by ourselves and we were trying different pubs. Some of the food left a lot to be desired. <laughs> it's pretty bland. Yeah, I'm I'm one of these people. I could eat fish and chips for seven days. I I, I you know what? It's gotten better. They're they're not known to be phenomenal, um, you know, uh, foodies over there. But we actually yeah. we had decent time. You know, and you're. You're, sometimes you're you're cooking. Listen, the focus is on protecting. So sometimes you, you all come back to the barn. You know, your barn leader will prepare a meal in in your lodging area. Uh, probably three nights, I think we went out and hit some of the local pubs. But you know, honestly, it's just like I just need I just needed to ingest stuff to get me out on the field the next day. I will say yep. the beer was phenomenal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not a beer drinker. I I sampled a couple and it was good. I I prefer a little Glen Fittish in water. <laughs> he sure and, does get into some fancy swizzle sticks though. And yeah, that's right. <laughs> I had one of the most valuable swizzle sticks in the world one night. And uh uh it's a fun trip and I I'm glad that you experienced it and some of you other guys are getting over there getting to do it. Um uh, but I, I still have a permission over there that I got to follow up on, and I'm going to go back to it on, on my own because Jill and I were there, and I got a 700-acre permission, and I would love to go continue on that because I was starting to learn and pop stuff the first time that I was there. I had nobody else with me, and uh, I will go back to that. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be searched well. Yeah. And not only has Rob been traveling abroad to England, but he's been traveling all over the country. Well, that's that's what it's about. And, you know, I've, I've done the same, Rob. And the only place I haven't got to go and I'm going to meet up with Leighton is heavy on East Coast, Northeast Coast beaches. And he's given me an invite to come out oh, and hunt with him. Yeah, good time. Good time. I, I have done a, that. A, friend who lives on Nantucket. I'm hoping to meet up with her maybe in the fall. And Amy and I are actually in August. We're planning a trip up to Newfoundland and, and Nova Scotia. Oh. So I am well, that'll hoping, be interesting. 
yeah, yeah, I need to do a little bit more research and understand, you know, where you can and can't detect. I'm hoping to get some folks to help with some permissions up there, but that's going to be the month of August. And, uh, you know, there's so much in this beautiful country to discover, but, but just New England alone. Oh my God. I, you know, I, uh, you know, I don't know if any of you watch, uh, Brad Martin's channel, Green Mountain Metal Detecting, but he's up in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Beautiful country. He is a phenomenal storyteller, cinematographer. By the way, he writes his own music for his yep. stuff. But so much stuff up there in Maine. So I'm hoping in the fall to, to do a little bit of detecting up in that area. We'll see. Good luck. That nice. would be fun. Beautiful scenery up there. I I tend to lean when I do trips U.S. anymore. I've done several out east in the west, eastern Pennsylvania and those type areas, and done pretty well. Uh, but more of my trips are out west into the mountains and in gold fields and places like that. And I love Deadwood and and that area and into Wyoming. And I've got some good permissions out there, and I've got to get back out with Tom and Connie and get out there again. And Jill's wanting to do one of those this summer, so I think we may be running there. And then she wants me to take her down there. Have you ever been to Crater of Diamonds, Rob? No, I I haven't. I, I'd like to do that. I, I but I will say just to back up from the check. You know what? One of my favorite things I see you do though is you get out on the boat quite a bit on that yep. those rivers. <laughs> it's beautiful by the way just watching the boat go you find some incredible spots along the rivers so I've got some ferry crossings of that we hit them they change every year uh, it's fun to hit those spots and uh, the old beaches I live along one that was called Scott's Landing here and I found quite a bit on that we even uh, Frank found a uh, nameplate off of steamer that was running here brass nameplate yeah. off it and i told him i said you've got a better find than any damn dime in the world that I, that that is that is pure history in your hand i yeah. think I'm, I'm not you know if you haven't seen these videos folks you gotta watch these are like you know beyond oak island worthy kind of thing i mean you, you could be making episodes on that that show some of those places that you're visiting are there I, I, I've got one I should really work on and, and, uh, it's right here locally and, and, mm-hmm. uh, you're right. Uh, the history of that particular landing and the boats that came in and out of there and down toward the Quad Cities, uh, Rock Island, Moline. I love the river crossings. And if you ever get down here, I'll, I'll try and have the boat out and we'll go out some to them. And the early river crossings, the history of it. The only thing is you got to watch where you step and what you step on. Right. Yeah, for sure. for sure. Yeah, so many places to go, so little time, huh? That's right. I mean, I got a bunch more to do, so I got to keep moving, just like you. The only thing about it is, the wife and I came kind of an agreement on camping uh, in a camper like you have. We live on the banks of the river, and I tell her we camp every night in a sense during the summer, especially we're out on the deck, this kind of stuff, and when we travel. She and I came to the one rule that we like the best if we have to. Room service is a good thing. <laughs> well, you know, what we found, like, just like metal detecting, there's different machines for different people. There's different RVs for different types of camping. 
you know, we like to move. We're in that, we're moving a lot. So this smaller class B affords us the opportunity to, I mean, some nights we'll stay in the parking lot of a Cracker Barrel. Other nights, you know, there are these apps called Harvest Host, Boondockers Welcome, where we're staying at a winery, you know, mm-hmm. for free. You know, they're, they're just, hey, you can park here, and they're hoping you come in and buy a bottle of wine. Other there places, people have a much larger RV, and they're going to some location, and they're parking it there for Right, it's hard for them, you know, with the, the larger RVs like that, it's hard to get into some of these other places like you're able to. Exactly. So, you know, it's like, well, you know, where are you in your life stage? What type of camping do you aspire to do? Therefore, that starts to inform the type of RV. Um, but there are a lot of these, you know, these smaller ones, whether it's a truck camper, pop-up, or a Class B. Mm-hmm. You can get in and out of some of these, like, smaller locations at, at a very low cost, very affordable cost. And that's right. what we're trying to do right now. Rob, she took me out, and we were looking at campers, Rob. And she mm-hmm. just wanted one of those little teardrop things. I said, honey, I love you. Your closeness is great. But when it's raining out and you're stuck in the back of a teardrop camper and you got yeah. storms going on, I know. <laughs> yeah. Not going to yeah. work. No. And, you know, again, it's, it's for certain circumstances. I'll just tell you the one we have is uh, we have a lithium battery which is nice, and that battery is charged either by a solar panel on the top, by a second alternator. You know, if we're uh-huh. driving down the road, we're going to take like 90 minutes to charge this thing. Or if you're at a campsite, you're plugged into electrical power, that charges as well. But we can go for like four days off of a fully charged battery. Our refrigerator, our light, everything mm-hmm. wrong. You know? So a lot of people, because of COVID, you know, COVID was good and bad for camping. A lot of people sadly had the same idea. Let's get out of Dodge. Let's go, let's go out west. Let's go to the campsites. That's all good. Problem is, the campsites, the national parks, state parks, they're full. Right. So when you have something self-contained, and I wouldn't say a teardrop is, there's no bathroom in a teardrop. There's no, no. you know, you know, but when you have something self-contained, <laughs> you can stay on, uh, Bureau of Land Management, BLM land. The BLM sites. Yeah, exactly. Or we call it cracker docking. You know, where, where, when you're on the move and you just need a place to stay for the night, you stay in a Walmart parking lot, you stay in a cracker barrel parking lot. They actually encourage people to do that in the hopes you're going to come in and have breakfast or buy something, you know? Right. So it's, it's, you know, it's a similar kind of a thing where, you know, hey, where are you going to detect that informs what kind of detector you might want to buy? Well, what kind of camping are you going to do? That informs some of your choices. Now, the nice thing is pop-ups, teardrops, hey, those are far more affordable than, you know, than, you know, a different type of an RV. So there's choices out there, but we're enjoying it. Nice. Good. No, I, whatever suits you, you know, and uh, I've been out in Wyoming's one of my favorite areas to go to. Uh, and I used to drop into Colorado, down through New Mexico, hunt ghost towns. And this is back in the late 70s, 80s, and early 90s. We traveled the West real hard. And a lot of it was prospecting. And then a lot into Alaska. Her brother was up there. We'd alternate years where we could go up there and couldn't. And, uh, but, you go out and you can look it up. It's called the Jack Morrow 
wilderness in Wyoming. It's 2.4 million acres. And there's BLM campgrounds out there. And these guys were self-sufficient back then staying at these campgrounds because there's nothing there other than a parking place. Rows of them. Right. And, but then you get out further, there's nothing there. I mean, if you want to go to nothing other than Alaska and be out there, Wyoming has miles of nothing. And and we're watching herds of the wild horses. We're seeing elk. We're seeing antelope all over the place. And it's quiet. And you see nobody else out there. And if you want to escape and get out there and do a little research and find where some of the old uh, sites were, you can still do that out there. Because that is not the most visited area because it's just miles and miles of buttes and valleys and it's gorgeous you're at the end of the wind river range and the history of what went on at the gold mines up uh south pass city if you ever get a chance rob you need to go through there well so i'll tell you before we started to do this i was only like you know somewhat aware of blm land and after you know now having researched it, I mean it, it's shocking how much land the government owns. This is land. There's no military bases. There's you know it's land. It's just there. The government owns it, but there's not necessarily anything on it. And it's free to us. You know we own it. We're citizens. We can use it. You can go camp there. Um, now you may you may feel like you're you're in an episode of Breaking Bad. You yeah. know where you're, you're in the middle of nowhere. Okay, but um, it it actually is interesting, and I'll, I'll just tell you a little side thing here. When I was at this last Big Stock, Big Stock Five in North Carolina, uh, their next well, they, one of their next events is out in California, and they're partnering with these, this Lost Dutchman organization. Yep. Lost Dutchman. I don't know much about them, but they have like I want to say like eleven or twelve different sites. Around the U.S., most of them are in the West. I'm an LDMA member, and I'm a Life GPA member. You, you got the thing. Okay, cool. Many of these are close to. Well, first of all, their 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 sites are big by themselves. Mm-hmm. But what thing is, you buy a lifetime membership there. I'm I'm thinking about it. You can go there and camp at like a ridiculously low fee, especially if you're boondocking, and you can metal detect these properties, or you can go process. Mm-hmm. And um, you can, I think, Chuck, if, I'm, if I understand the membership correctly, you also can have a certain number of either family members or friends join you. Yes. So it's it, the, not this April, there is a big stock event. It's more of a smaller artifact hunting event. But in October, I think, the event is out in California and they're co- co-sponsoring it, whatever, with a lot of section folks. But if, if you guys are, like, anybody's out there kind of leaning towards the gold prospecting, prospecting or you're on the West Coast, Chuck, you know more about this than me, but you guys might want to actually have it, have them on a future episode. I think would be kind of interesting for lots of some people. Yep. I, uh, I was very fortunate. I started in with them in the early 90s, and I met all the Masseys and became pretty good friends with Perry. And... When they were hosting the Gold Prospecting Show on TV, I was on one or two episodes with him, and we did a lot of prospecting in Alaska. I worked uh, a summer when I retired. My first summer, I spent seven weeks up in the Northern Cal country uh, working with uh, several of them for outings. I actually worked on the crew 
and uh, up at uh, the Stanislaus River and that area, and it was a lot of fun just outside of Columbia. And, uh, yeah, we had a good time. But that was the year that they made it illegal to dredge in uh-huh. California. And uh, they're still fighting that problem. Run the suction dredges. But the, the gold hunting there is phenomenal. And now the LDMA claims they get visited by a lot of people and a lot of hard work goes in out there. So you've got to understand gold. But this past week, Debbie came home from California. Every spring they have all kinds of gold shows and outings. All of them got canceled because of all the bad weather just recently. She's home now. Normally she's not back for another month. Wow. Oh. I just talked to her the other day. She called me. She says, I've been busy. I just got back. Are you back in Chicago? Yes, they canceled everything. Mm-hmm. All the remaining because flooding. But She, by the way, hey, she, she was awesome to work with down at Digstock. I mean, I will say, you know, these companies that, uh, you know, we were all representing and so forth, they're obviously in competition with one another. But the people that, like, you know, represent those companies at those events, some of the best people out there. I'll put Debbie in there. She was phenomenal and nice to see her again. And uh, she's a hard, hard worker. Yes. Right. Yep. Uh, how do you like the dig stock events? That's a question I wanted to ask you. Um, I have been to several of them and they've all been different. You know, these folks, you know, first of all, it's a natural event. This last one, they introduced their first kind of like seated hunt, but it wasn't, that wasn't the focus. It was primarily a natural event and they had a seated event. They had a few hiccups this last one where seated events started early. It was a mistake and, um, but they extended the hunt to try to make up for that. But it was also this, I believe this last Big Stock 5 event was the largest natural hunt in the world metal detecting hunt ever bigger than detectable whatever and you know as they're scaling up you know i I think they're learning that's what impresses me most about them of you never know what the land will produce i've been on other ones where i think the ratio of people to the you know good finds exciting finds might have been a little better but i'll tell you what i love them because if you're just going there to find a bucket lister, if that's your only reason of going, think twice. You might find a bucket list, you might not. If you're going there to learn about your machine, to meet other people, to maybe win some wonderful stuff, you know, I think it was two or three big stuff to go. I went, I actually won two metal detectors. Two. I was like, I can't take these back on the plane. Can you ship them to me? It is an experience. It's an event, part of which is a natural hunt. Um, I think as they continue to scale, they're they're having like now some challenges with some very beginner level people. There's some very advanced level people. For me, I, I I like them. I'm a supporter, but I do think they need to continue to change their location, you know, to different experiences. Some big, some small. Uh, the way they run their events, though. Um, I still think they're the best game in town. I've been to a few others I won't mention that were not as advertised or horrible. 
Um, mm-hmm. You can find fault in any of these things, but I still think they're a good group of folks. But, you know, it depends who you are. If you're, you know, if you're looking for an, a UK experience, you're not necessarily going to find it. Um, I have found a few bucket listers there. I've also come up empty on some of them. So you have to have the right mindset, I think, when you're going. But I'm glad they're there. Um, there's nothing else like them. The other events, whether they're natural or seeded, they're, they're much, much smaller. Um, but so far, I mean, my, my main thing is, are they learning? Are they continuing to improve? You know, that kind of a thing. And they are. And they, they hey, I will say this, you know, the vendors were there. The manufacturers were there. Everyone was present. So that tells you something. Okay. I just, you know, I've never been to a dig stock. Most of the time, I'm either traveling one way or the other on my own, and it just doesn't work out. Right, uh, scheduling. I've been to many, many other hunts through the Midwest and some East Coast. I've been to one in Boston. I've been to Atlantic City twice and uh, uh, one in Charlotte, uh, different ones like that that were Posted. I helped host events for my lab, and uh, uh, it just seems from input I'm getting back on the dig stocks, just like you just said, they need to work on it more. You know, this is, like, there are the nice thing about all of these events. There are you know, li- listen to the people that attend. You know. Whether you're small or large, you're, you're going to have a few people that are just throwing sand in the gears. They've got an axe to grind for whatever reason against mm-hmm. the event person. But, you know, we, we, we live in an age where we can think things through ourselves. Um, and, you know, they've had several now, you know, of these events. And by and large, most people will say, hey, these have been good events and so on. This last one, I think, because of the scale, they did have some, you know, a, a few challenges with a couple of the things. But I'm going to tell you what, I would go again in a heartbeat. It was, I think, it was a great experience, especially. You know, remember who was talking? This is a guy who lives in in the Midwest. Who, it's frozen outside. So yeah, have good point. To go. Ten thousand yeah. acres, you know, eighteen hundred, maybe some colonial home sites in North. I'm I'm going to jump on that for the fee. You know, it was I thought it was a great experience and. I'd do it again, but I, I think what you want to do on any of these events, take advantage of the data, the people. Hey, what did you think? What, you know, how was this experience? Um, their seated hunt, sadly, they, 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 uh, started a little early. Uh, somehow the, the fireworks, I think, went off and that was supposed to be the signal for the start of the event and they, they went off erroneously. And a few people, the seated hunt was really big because, I mean, they had a couple boxes where there were, $2,500, $5,000 in a box and stuff like that. So quite a few people were really interested in this nighttime seeded pinpointer hunt. Okay. And they got some flack for that, that it started early. And, and, you know, again, they've addressed it. I think they're trying to improve, but this is the first time they've done a seeded event period. I mean, that was, to me, was a bonus that they even had it. Now, all this said, I wasn't there detecting this time. Let me qualify that. I was there working the booth. You know, uh, uh XP. Yeah, trying to help them out there. So I had maybe half a day, you know, at best of detecting and, and there was one day the weather wasn't that great too. But um but yeah, I I mean, you know, 
I think I would I would I would recommend if somebody asked me I would say I would recommend it. You know, I think it's definitely okay. worth the cost. I was just curious to hear curious to hear your side of it. Now, uh, somebody just asked about Detectable. I've been to Detectable. I enjoyed Detectable. That was the first time that I had done an event in England, and it was big. I mean, that's yeah, that is a large Equinox scale event. Yeah, the airplane, and it was a big, big event. Now, well, at, yeah, and you know, I think you have to like ask you, like, what are you trying to big is in, in terms of numbers? There were quite a few other, you know, popular detectors there that was cool to mingle with them. That's big. A lot of people. That's big. Land. That's you know. So you have to like, what do you, you know? What are you trying to do? And at the end of the day, you know, what one person might be trying to get versus another. I mean, I, I do hope to have, you know, property that will yield some, give me the opportunity, you know, to put my coil over older land than I would normally have. That, that in itself is pretty cool. What, here's what I will say what's really neat about Big Dog. Okay. They have this massive tent under which is like a jeweler's table. It's like shaped like a U. And they encourage people throughout the event to come in, show us, you know, turn in your findings. I think you get a raffle ticket for something if you temporarily turn in and display your finds. So, you know, because it's very easy to get in your own head and you're like, oh, there's nothing here. I'm not finding anything. Well, then you go back to the main tent at lunch and you're like, holy crap. Look what Chuck Smalley just found. Look at, look at what Josh Kimball just found. And it challenges you to, okay, well, maybe, maybe there's stuff here. I'm just not finding it. That kind of a thing. I really appreciate how they do that because it makes me a better detectorist when I can see what other people on the same property, presumably with the same equipment, is or are not finding. That's but, a good well, point. At Detectable, they do the same thing. They actually have pass guys there looking at the finds. And then they're displayed with the person, the finder's name, and what, you know, we had people from Germany, France, United States, of course, United Kingdom, uh, Sweden, Denmark. I, I talked with several guys out of Denmark and what they find over there, Holland. And literally they had, I'm thinking on that first day, 1,700 hunters. That's a lot that, of coins. And they had several thousand acres to work mm -hmm. and marked Roman villages, uh, Roman road, Roman wells, uh, and just unbelievable. Just like anything else you find in England, the history of it was phenomenal. And yeah. that was up on the end of the Cotswolds before you get down lower and the, I saw some great stuff. I found my first fibula. I found, you know, what they call the, the large half cents and cents, early mm -hmm. English. I didn't come up with anything hammered. I was learning how to work there in England. So it's very similar. Big stock is, is kind of mirror, mirroring what's going over at Detectable then. Oh, I, I think they all learn from one another. I think, you know, like the, you know, Dick Stock, a couple of days before the event, they launched these interactive maps that are incredibly impressive that gives you and your teammates an opportunity to figure out, like, where are we going to start? 
that kind of thing. I also feel strongly they, they give back. They have a veterans raffle. They, they will pick a charity as well. There's all kinds of merchandise ranging from, you know, T-shirts to detectors that are raffled off by the big stock people, but also by the sponsoring vendors as well. If you have the right mindset, saying, now, okay, listen. With um, the vendors, okay. did they allow companies had, to come in and set up and sell? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't quite know what it takes to get this involved, but there were the big folks there. So Garrett, Nocta, Mind Lab, Team. These folks were all represented. They also had um, a, I want to say, is it Midwest Prospectors? There, there was a, a general vendor there that was just selling, you know, metal detecting supplies. There was a beer tent, a distiller. They had mm-hmm. the Lost Dutchman folks. You know, so there's a uh, there's a company they're partnering with that was selling digging tools, shovel. I think Rebel Iron is their name. So much, many more than my previous ones and then on top of that like registration day was almost like how do i describe it like a it was like a a, like they had a band there it was almost like a like a concert you know where the registration day where you're coming and people are rolling in all throughout the day you know it was like a party day and they had different food vendors there. So I actually enjoyed that because it was a great opportunity to talk with people. The rest of the time, that main area, probably like detectable, was like empty because people were out in the fields. Mm-hmm. Fact, I didn't put together any videos this time. There'll be plenty. But I think the good thing is, you know, you, you know, evaluate. You can listen to the people that, that attend, listen for how long have they been doing this? Are they continuing to improve? You know, are these things yielding good finds? Where are they? Where are they located? Who's attending? What kind of vendors will support? That's the kind of stuff you want to evaluate. Like, hmm, should I invest my treasure, my dollars, yes or no, to go to these things? Yeah. Good point. So, and I would say don't discount the small ones. I'm talking like a hundred people or less. Those can also, whether they're seeded or natural, there can also be some really, really good ones there. But be careful, because some, some, some not so much. <clears throat> yeah, some of them not so much, and and others yet not at all. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, anyway, I just wanted to hear your input on it. Now you were working for a vendor there, or you were working for a company there, and I saw. Some of the more experienced detectorists that I know or know of weren't extremely happy with it. Uh, I saw people that were happy with it. So you just can't please everybody. It's, it's yeah, almost impossible. There's plenty on both sides of the fence. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, they, and again, so, you know, match up with them, listen to them, figure out what their issue is and so forth. Um, but yeah, I think he, even like the, the Dick Tuck folks, they were the first to say, yeah, we, we had a few hiccups with, I think a couple of their vendors ran out of food and stuff like that. So I'm interested in, you know, you know, have they shown a record of improvement? Do they, you know, are they trying to improve and so on? But by, by all means, you know, we got some smart people out there. They can make their own choices. Yep. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for the input that, that you know, a, a lot of our listeners didn't go to that. I know, I think Tim went to it, Illinois Digger, uh, of course you, I 
enjoy off whether the Bills uh, won or Scott not. Scott McClurry, Dylan Wollendahl, they went. So, hearing about it, it's pretty good. So, I'll back well, out it's of It's always here. good to get Gosh, that feedback. Rob, and we'll, uh, we'll hook up sometime, and uh, we'll catch you on the uh, watch your videos. And uh, good, good hunting to you. Same to you, Chuck. Good talking with you, my friend. All right. Josh, as always, thank you. We'll see Thanks you later. Call. Everybody have a great week. Stay safe out there for me. Bye-bye. We'll try. And I guess uh, I just happened to look at the time, and good grief, where does it go? <laughs> we've, uh, we've actually kept you on here quite a bit. Uh, hopefully we don't have... Uh, you know, Mrs. History Digger getting irate with us. No worries there. You, you know, <laughs> one of my stickers is caution. I may talk about metal detecting at any time, right? So it fits. That's right. Which uh, that that does remind me very cool of you to send the uh, the prize pack that you had did here a while back. Uh, we actually held on to that silver round and awarded it on. New Year's Eve, I believe it was, for one of our New Year's Eve shows, and and that cool. was that was pretty cool, definitely. Uh, but we have kept you for a while, so we should probably get on out of here. That way, when we offer the invite again, you're more than happy to come back. Uh, is there anything else you would like to add before we go? No. Thanks again for the opportunity. Appreciate this. And again, um, thanks everybody for listening to this. I hope you, you picked up something from this conversation here. But uh, if there's any questions about anything we talked about, if anybody wants to PM me, text me, whatever, I'm always happy to you know talk offline. But Josh, thank you very much. And I am hoping to make it back to your area this summer. <laughs> I do. I do have a goal of detecting with you. Right, and now at least you'll know just how close you are. Indeed, indeed. So, so thanks again. It was a pleasure talking with everybody. Right. Hang in there with me for a few minutes, Rob, and we'll get out of here. For everyone else, obviously, Rob Rizzo, the History Digger on YouTube. Make sure and check out his videos. He does a great job with them. I know that there were a number of people looking forward to hearing from him tonight, and we're glad that they had that opportunity to listen to him, and also glad that Rob had the opportunity to sit down with us. We got a roll, folks. Have a wonderful evening. We're going to get on out of here, and I'll get back to you in a minute, Rob. Mm -hmm.